I want to speak to you this morning about the call of God, something I'm just calling walk with me. God calls us to walk with Him, and that phrase, the call of God, is something that has changed and become weird. Um, do you have, Dan, do, can you put on like extreme reverb on this thing, just for a second? When you speak of the call of God, many people think it's like this. Tell me when we're ready. The call. The call. The call. The call. The call. That's thanks. That's thanks. Leave it on, yeah. That's not the anointing, I can tell you. That's how some people think of the call of God. It's like this, the call. You know, but it's actually quite straightforward and quite simple. And Jesus asks us to walk with him. So I'm going to pray. Why don't you, if you could, could we close our eyes for a second and just ask the Lord for the spirit of wisdom, revelation to enter into our hearts. Father, we thank you for who you are. And I thank you for just your goodness. Your goodness, God. You are good. And your mercy endures forever. And your mercies are new and fresh every day. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in this region, in this church. Lord, I pray that you would continue to invade the hearts of your people to bring transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. I genuinely am excited about what I'm going to share with you today. You know, we're trying to build a culture here at Free Life of people that genuinely know the Lord. And people ask, why are you doing that? Well, we've described it as it's what God wants and it's what the world needs. You know, I've said it again and I'm going to say it again and again. Planning churches is good and it's God's way. It's wonderful. It's not a bad thing. But I find in our current culture, the world or people in the world, your neighbors, whoever they are, your colleagues, they more need a person next to them who genuinely walks with the Lord, genuinely knows the Lord, than they do another church in their neighborhood that they will never attend. It's true. And God is interested. It's His heart. He paid a massive price to give you access to genuine relationship, to genuinely know Him. And I know I'm constantly, I feel like the last year I probably have spoken more on walking with the Lord, relationship with the Lord, because it's in a sense what was opened. The curtain was open to give access to him. And he changes you. You can't change you. You really cannot. And so I'm excited to talk about just the call of the Lord. But it's to build a culture of people that know the Lord. To fill a building with people is good. It's healthy because growth, and we've grown a lot. We've doubled in about a year. Growth is good if it leads to impact. If it leads to impact. And it leads to impact when you fill a building with people that are full of Him, not just fill a building. People that are full of God, that are overwhelmed, that are saturated by the Lord. That's a whole different thing. And the way the church deals with sin drastically has to change. And I'm not talking, and none of this is in my notes, if the guy at the back is confused. But I'm not talking about being hard or, you know, just tolerant of every little thing. It's understanding what causes toxicity and what causes uh, destruction within God's people. You know, often people commit this big thing that we think is, ooh, that's a really bad one, or sin is sin. And so we push them away. But actually, those are the people, I mean, it's not a pattern, there's just something that they do. We all make mistakes, we all do stupid stuff, yeah? 
or is it just me? See you too? Great. Those are the people we actually draw in. We draw them into family. But things like offense and gossip and slander, those things that are seen as not really, those are the things which cause destruction in the body of Christ. And so we want to see that obliterated. Because in a culture, in the world where you, you can look at someone today and say, I love you, and they can be offended. It's unbelievable what people are offended by today. It's, I saw a poster, and I'm not sure where this is coming from, and I just feel the Lord's leading me to say it. I saw a poster or a meme. It was like the 1300s, we dealt with the Black Plague, and the 1900s, we dealt with war, and it went through the different, and then it says in the 2000s, we were offended. And it's a picture of a teenager or a baby. Like, and it's real, and it's actually pretty ridiculous, to be quite frank. But when the world is like that, the church gets to demonstrate what it is to live free. No matter what you do to me, I'm still free. That's something that the church gets to demonstrate. It's a very exciting opportunity if they don't wrap you into that whole way of thinking. It's a very exciting opportunity, genuinely. You know, the military trains people to flourish wherever they land, yeah? The church should do the same. The world is training people right now. You can only flourish if everyone around you agrees with you, thinks like you, speaks like you, and likes you, and is you. Then you can flourish. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need to train people what it's like to flourish when we stand alone and still flourish because we're plugged into a resource that no one else is plugged into. It's truth, yeah? Amen? Great, we're on the same page. All right, the call of God. In some people's minds, like I said, when you talk about the call of God, it's this weird thing, but it's rather simple. It's the Lord standing over there saying, hey, I'm going to go over there, and I would like you to come with me. He calls you. He beckons you. He says, I'm going. Can you follow? Come with me. That's what the call of God is. That's really what it is. And, you know, we have this language, especially in the prophetic, when we say, I see the call of God in your life. And I say that all the time. And it's true, because we do see, we see that. But all that we're actually saying, if you, if you want to break it down in a very simple phrase, because it's just church, churchianity, church jargon. But if you break it down, it's the Lord is calling out to you so loud right now. And it's like, sometimes they've prayed, Lord, are you with me? We don't know what it's answering, but it's answering something. They're crying out to God and it's saying, actually, I see something on you. It's God's beckoning you and his voice is getting louder than any other voice. That's the call of God. So a few things about the call and then I'm going to speak about following. Number one, he calls those the world sees no value in. Doesn't mean he only calls those, but he doesn't value people the same the way the world values people. Like David, who didn't even, wasn't called by Jesse. He was actually just didn't even exist in his father's mind when the prophet comes to town. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. We used to say when, we, when I first went into ministry, aren't we glad that we're the non-mighty, non-noble, you know, the scum of the earth, Paul calls himself. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. God will often call the rejected, the lonely, the hurt, the unloved. He calls them. Doesn't mean He doesn't call others. 
He calls the wealthy too. He calls the Cyruses. He calls all. But he doesn't measure who he calls the same way that we do. Thank goodness. He calls all. He calls all. Number two, his call will never stop coming. It'll never stop calling. Romans eleven twenty nine. the call and the gifts of God or the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Some translations say without repentance. A lot of people use that verse to say, you know, I can still, in a sense, move in power even though I'm living a terrible life because the gifts and the call are irrevocable. That sentence, that scripture is actually, to be hermeneutically correct, in the context of Israel. <laughs> it's in the context of Israel's blessings that will not depart. That's actually the context of it. But it's still true of him. The gifts he gives and the call will continue to call you. And it will continue to call you and it will continue to call you. It will follow you all your life. It really, really will. He is calling out to you. Come with me. Come with me. And it's a relational call. You see it in the Song of Solomon's. Come away with me, my lover. Speaking about Christ and the church. Come with me. Come with me over here. Thirdly, your call finds you. <laughs> I wish I had time to clarify this, but I'll clarify it a little later maybe. But a lot of young people are here. I wonder, what's the call of God in my life? Or, no, your call will find you. Just serve. You know? People ask me, when did the call of God come to you? I don't know. I don't. I got saved, got into a church and said, hey, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? They wanted me to do AV, which I was terrible at. And I did it for two years. And I know the people at the back, what it's like. You know, you're worshiping and then, and then everyone, everyone stops and they all look at you. You know, it's awful. It's not pleasant. And I, I wasn't good at it. But it's like, you know, then it's the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing. And just throw a towel over your arm and serve because the call finds you. And it starts broad. It starts very broad. And as you grow in the Lord, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. That's what happens. It's like base training. You get trained a little bit at everything. But you may become a sniper. But you don't start there. Hello? It finds you. Call came to Samuel. He didn't go looking for it. It came to him. It came to David. It came to Moses. It finds you. So, we'll get into that a little later. And lastly, it's his calling and it's his inheritance. I'm going to read a scripture for us. Ephesians 1. There's much I could say on his call and on the call, but I want to talk about following more so. Ephesians 1.15 says uh, to 22, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, Paul speaking, of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. His calling, His inheritance, and His power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. But it's His power. And it's His power when we've come to... His power flows through people 
more so in the terms of it can flow through anyone at any time. I mean, he uses, it's amazing. He used, you know, often we see people that are operating in the power of God, just a quick tangent, and, and then we find out something about their life that is just crazy, and then we see God still using them. Who, who's experienced that? Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Often people say, well, you see, we can kind of do whatever and God will still, that's, that's not what God's trying to say. What God's trying to say, if I can use them, what do you think that means for you? Hello? Yeah? But for God's power to be part of your life in terms of normal, in terms of this is how I walk with the Lord, well, we have to understand it's His call and His inheritance. A lot of young people, I need, I need the call and, you know, I can't marry someone unless they have the call. It's like, no, it just doesn't work. It just, it's, it's sometimes silly. I'm just being real. You know, love the Lord and love the person you marry. You know, try to line up callings and all that stuff. That's, no. Love Him. So, His call and His inheritance. Paul explains it in Ephesians. I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, with all gentleness, with long-suffering, that's patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So in Ephesians 1, Paul says, a desire that you may come to know what is the hope of His calling, yeah, and His inheritance in the saints. You remember that? This year says there is one body just as you were called to one hope in your calling. That one hope that it's talking about in your calling is the hope of His calling, which is what? What is the hope of His calling? It's very interesting. Are you following? What is the hope of His calling? That you may come to know the hope of His calling. What is that? Because that is this one hope that it's talking about, and it has to do with your call. Well, one of the commentaries say this. Paul prays that believers would comprehend the blessings that are theirs in Christ, their future hope, God's inheritance in the saints, and their power in Christ. The inheritance here is not the believers, but God's. This indicates how precious God's people are to Him. They, His people, are what God is looking forward to enjoy forever. What's the point? Your calling, people say, oh, the call, my call. Your calling, His beckoning you to follow Him will work its way out like this. Firstly, it's not about you because it's His calling and it's His inheritance, but it will always work its way out in the following, and that's what it says. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he talks about what? One body, one faith, one hope. You remember we just read that? Your calling then will always work its way out in the church, in one body. He says that the hope of your calling, let me read it again. The hope of your calling, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one body, one spirit, one hope. That one hope of your call has to do with the hope of His call, which is the future inheritance that they get to enjoy, which is people. It's people. 
And so we say, what's the call? And we think of the call of God on us for me. Is it this? Is it profit? Is it power? Is it pastor? Is it business? It's the wrong mindset. It's his call and his inheritance, and your calling will fit into the hope of his calling. And it will always take place in one body, which is the church, not a church, the church in general, in one body and in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and in one hope. It has to do with Him. It will always take place with people in the body of Christ along with the Holy Spirit. Always, always, always. We cannot think for a second, friends, that we can accomplish, in a sense, what the disciples accomplished by only focusing on what they didn't have, but ignoring who they did have. That's the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. One hope, which is the hope of His calling, which is the future He's looking forward to enjoying with His people forever. That's the hope of His call. And your call slots into that and it will take place in the body of Christ along with your relationship with the Holy Spirit for the common good of His call. Does that make sense? Very important, because we speak about the call of God as me, me, what am I, and me, and how can I? And I can't be with you because yours doesn't suit me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's Him. His call, His inheritance, that's what it is. And yours will take place to bring about the great hope of His call. And He loves people. Amen? I'm going to just, me and the Lord, off we go. I've said it before. I love the Lord, but I don't like the church. Well, good luck building a relationship with someone when you say, I like you, but I hate your wife. It doesn't work well doesn't work well. The Lord loves the church. It's His bride. It's His heart. It's his, the focus of His affection. doesn't mean she's doing well all the time. So He calls people into the bride to attend her and love her and care for her and shepherd her and bless her and beautify her. Amen? So follow me. Follow me, the Lord says. Follow me. The call to follow. This is going to be more than one week, apparently. The call to follow, what I'm about to say to you is not very cultural. And so, love me still, but, but it's not so much cultural in terms of it. It may sound offensive to some of you, but I'm just preaching the Word, and I'm not trying to bring it in a challenging way. Sometimes when... Uh, uh, the world's ways of thinking have moved so far away from Scripture, some things sound a little shocking sometimes, but it's still the Lord. And it actually is always to bring freedom. Amen? So, the follow. Follow me. I've called this the call to follow, the call to feed, and the call to friendship. There's not just one time, you know, the Lord calls you and that's it. People still think about their relationship with the Lord or the call of God in their life as a destination. It's not. It's a journey. The, the prize of the call of God in your life is always Him and always your relationship with Him, 
not what he will give or take you to. Never is. It's always the journey. It's not a place you arrive at. It's just not. And when we're thinking like that, we forget to enjoy the person who we're with, which is him. But there's a call that comes to follow. He said, follow me. He said it to Peter. He said it to many. But he says to Peter, follow me. Later, he says to Peter again, follow me a second time. The third time, he says, speaking about people in general, follow me. And every time he says, follow me, it comes with choice. It comes with a question. It really does, which we'll get into. Let's go read Mark 1, 16. The call to follow, just the first one. The call to follow. And he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Mark 1, 16 to 20. And he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. He says, follow me, and they went after him. Mark 2 says, out again by sea, and all the multitudes came to him, and he taught them. Sorry, this is Mark 2, verse 13 to 14. And he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. He says, follow me, and I will make you. Very, very important. We often try to do the making instead of just the following. He says, follow me, you follow me, wherever I go, you follow. And in that process, I will make you. And he says, I will make you to become. I will make you, and when I make you, you will become something. And you will actually become who I call you. You will become who I have destined you to be. You will become, well, before the foundation of the earth, the Bible says, before you were born in sin, you will become who you really are. But you follow me, and I will do the making. You do the following, I'll do the making. I will make you, I will shape you, I will form you, but follow. And we notice here, (laughs) every time he calls us deeper, and he will, he'll call us to follow, then he'll call us to feed, and then he'll call us to friendship. But every time he calls us deeper, it's accompanied with a question, and it's the same question. Will you leave that behind, whatever that is, to come with me? And the that grows the that grows. Will you leave that behind, son? And will you come with me? Will you continue to follow me? We see it with the disciples when he purposefully offended a whole bunch of people. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? Will you still follow me? Will you still come with me? When he called the disciples in the scriptures we just read, it says they left their father, the hired servants, and the boat. What's that? Their family, their assets, their career, and their inheritance. They left it all. All of it. To do what? It says, and they they went after him. (laughs) They went after him. He was the focus, not the result. They went after him, but they left everything to do it. Now, am I saying you have to leave everything? No, I'm not saying that. 
See, in the 80s and 90s, it was, even before that, I don't know, because I wasn't alive. Whenever people would speak about the call of God, it was like business people would be made to feel like second-rate citizens if they didn't leave everything and go into ministry. Who knows what I'm talking about? That couldn't be some farther from the truth. 1 Corinthians 7 says, whenever the call comes, 1 Corinthians says this, whatever state you are in when he calls you, remain in that place, talking about career. Actually says that. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says remain doing that. It says if you're a slave, remain a slave. If you can get free, I'm just quoting, if you can get free, do so, but remain a slave. If you're a master, remain a master. But what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 7, if you go read it, I just don't have the time so I won't get into it, is that the kingdom call to call you into the kingdom and the call of the kingdom trumps whatever you're doing. It doesn't mean that he's calling you to leave it. We have to understand that the call comes to change you, not what you do. Call comes to change you, friends. It's not about changing what you do. Please hear that. It comes to change you. He needs people in government. He needs people in city, in city high places. He needs people in business. He needs Josephs and Daniels. And for a season in the church, the call of God meant I'm going to leave everything and just follow and just go into ministry. Many of those people were not called into ministry. But when he calls you, he says, follow me. It's not about changing what you do, but it is being willing to let it go if he says so. That remains true. That remains true. It's not about, oh, I have to leave in order to succeed as a Christian. No, most likely you'll stay where you are. But if he says leave, leave. That's the heart of a disciple. And that's not cultural, but it's truth. And the only reason many people do not do that when he says is because the cost seems too great. When the cost seems too great, there's something we haven't seen of him. That's all. We haven't seen him clearly yet. He is the lover of our souls. Mark 3, verse 13 to 15, he says, He went up the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Talking about he prayed through the night, and he came down and chose 12 disciples. And it says, he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. They, he called to him. They called to him. They came to him that they might be with him. That is the call to follow. When he says, follow me, he calls you to himself for the purpose of being with him. That's the high call, to be with him. Am I making sense? So you see how he will call them further. First, he calls them, follow me. And they follow, they leave everything. It's, it's amazing, they leave everything and they follow. Now I did that, but he called me to do that. It's carrying eternity in the heart where we see value in him more than we see any other value. We'll do that if that's what he says. But that comes from being with him, yeah? That only, God, only God can cause a response like that in a person. And when a person causes that response, in a sense, in and of themselves, often 
they're not supposed to. It's, it's like an insecurity. I have to do this because I want to be the best Christian. Or it's, no. When he moves in your heart for that, you'll know. You'll know. But most likely you'll stay where you are. But he first calls and it says they went after him. Then he takes that whole group and he calls 12 and he says that they might be with him. It's closer and then closer. First, come after me, but you're still with people and come after me. Now, my sons, I want you to come just a little bit further aside and leave more things behind. Come with me, come with me further. Come with me further. That is what it's like to follow the Lord, to walk with the Lord. Come further. Come further. And it starts like this. Now, I've got three pictures I want to show you. The media team sent me different options for my slides. And they sent me three, and I'm like, that's perfect, because it's like different stages. So I'll show them all three. The first one looks like this. Walk with me. And that's how some people are. They're drowning at salvation, and you're like, yep, I'm in. And he says, hey, if you come with me, I'll teach you. It's what he said. I'll teach you how to cast out demons, how to preach the gospel, how to heal the sick. And you're like, that's better than the shark I'm looking at under this water. So let's do that. And so we say, Lord, I'm in. Next one. And he calls us aside. And he says, walk with me further. And now you face choices. And this could be for years. Choices in business, in family, in relationships, in life. And he tugs on your heart. He says, come with me this way, son. And then you come to a crossing, you're like, hmm, this is interesting. Because you know in your heart which way he's going. And it's an interesting thing. Every time we face that, it is riddled with deception. Because to not choose him is to not choose freedom. And we sell out freedom for temporary something, whether it's pleasure, whether it's relationship, we sell out freedom for eternity for something that will probably leave us when we're not willing to leave it. And he says, come with me. Come with me. He loves you, friends. He loves you. He loves you. And then it goes to this. Walk with me. Come aside, you and me. Become my friend, friend of God. That's my heart, to be his friend. And you know, when he called the disciples the first time, I think they thought this. They thought, yeah, we're going to go from here to there, just like that. That's awesome. Let's do that now. Let's, let's go there now. You know, intense people. Let's do it today. It's like I told you, when I got saved, I gave myself one year to get over sin so I could change the world. I mean, that's the most arrogant thought, you know. I'm like, Lord, I'll just give myself a year, deal with all this junk, and then we're just you and me, you know, you, me, and Billy Graham or whatever. And it's just not like that, you know. It's, let's go, come with me, come with me. And we see it, I'm going to go through some things just real quick. In Matthew 8, a scribe comes to, comes to Jesus, and basically a scribe asks him, can I follow you? And they're going to throw up the scriptures, but I'll just read the part. A scribe comes, uh, an important person says, I'll follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Because he sees what's happening. He sees the benefits. He sees the miracles. And he says, I'll follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go, he says. Wherever you go. How many times I've said that to the Lord? Lord, wherever. I go wherever. He says, okay, go to, go to that country. Not there. You know, wherever, Lord. And he, wherever. No, not there. Wherever, you know. And he says... 
Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Saying, if you want to come on this road with me and these guys, you're going to have to leave your comforts. You're going to have to leave your home. You might have to lose your home, lose your family, lose whatever to come with me. That's what he said. It's not cultural. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. If you want to come with me, you know, it's, at times it's like that. And it's not just embracing suffering, I'll suffer for the kingdom. It's not noble to burn out for the Lord. It's just not. But there comes places. And then, so another one says, Lord, well, I'll follow you. That's what it says. So this guy obviously left, and another guy says, I'll follow you. And he says, but let me go home and bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury their own dead. And we think, gee, where's Jesus? That's a little harsh. Levitical law means that his father was not dead at the time, because otherwise he would not have been allowed to be outside. It was a cultural custom. It was a saying which said, let me go home and live with my father until he passes, and I'm going to do something that is culturally honorable, and then I will give my life to you. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. He's not dishonoring the man's father. He's not dishonoring the culture. He's saying people are born dead. They're born in their trespass and their sins. They're born dead. Let those with the dead nature deal with the world's issues. If you want to follow me, there's something of eternity, and by your answer and by your response, I'm seeing that you're still gripped with the temporal more than eternal things. <laughs> That's what he said. Follow me further. Follow me. Let me go do this thing that's good. And he says, okay, that's fine. Because the call will continue to come. But if you want to go with me now, come with me now. And again, I'm not saying you have to leave everything. It's in areas of your life. He says, leave that, come with me. Leave that, come with me. Leave that, come with me. He will take care of those things. It was not easy for my parents to come here when I was 19. They left us there, their children. Huh. Yeah, the call of God. We're fine. We're doing fine. Here, apparently, I'm doing fine. It's God will cover what you leave. If, he, if it's Him calling. Some people say, well, God's calling me to do of that now because they don't actually want to do what's honorable and right. Hello? You know what I'm saying. So then Jesus gets into a boat. It's a fascinating story, and I, let me actually quickly go there. So these people ask him, Lord, let me follow you. Foxes have holes, birds of the air. Another one says, I'll follow you. He says, let the dead bury their dead. It says, then he got into a boat, verse 23, and his disciples followed him. And I can just imagine the disciples like, hmm, you wouldn't follow him. We are. Look at us. We're willing to give it up. Temporal person. And they, you know, they get into a boat with a little bit of like, we're with him. You're not. You know, it's, some Christians are like this, like a spiritual pride. And then what happens is funny to me, and suddenly a great tempest, a storm, some scriptures say a squall, like a white squall. It's like a hurricane. It's not like a little rain. 
arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And then his disciples came and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. It's like we're with him. And then, Lord, help, straight away. And he says, why are you so fearful? You have little faith. And he arose, and we know the story. He calmed the sea. See, the call to follow him, and we'll go into the other two calls next week. But I'll end with this. The call to follow him teaches us him. That's what it teaches us. It teaches us him. When he calls us to follow, testings will come. They will come. And he's testing us. It's like they said, don't you care in the Luke version of that text. It says, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care? Often when testings came to the disciples, it's interesting to me that most of the tests that the disciples received from him, he tested them all the time, were not tests of morality. Hello. They were not tests of, are you good, you know, character and morality. They were tests of faith. Can you operate here according to the unseen? And there were tests about the kingdom. How does my kingdom work? Can you think like me? Can you see like me? So he gets into the boat. And they said, and if they just, you know, we're with him. You're not. You know, they get into the boat and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And it says he was surprised. It says he was surprised they woke him up. Why? Because in Jesus' heart, they were fully equipped to deal with what arose. He was surprised. Why are you afraid? Why'd you wake me up? You're here. See, when we come to testings in life, friends, often we think, I'm in a testing. I need breakthrough. God, give me a breakthrough. Change my situation. Often the test comes like a math test. You've already learned the lesson. The test comes to show you that you know it. Hello? Often when we're getting tested in life, it's coming to affirm something that is in you that you don't yet know you carry but yet it's inside you. Jesus is saying, why do you wake me? I said, let's go to the other side. When have you known me, guys, that what I've said doesn't happen? Don't you think like my kingdom yet? Don't you see with eyes of faith yet? Don't you, why do you wake me up? I marvel at the sons of thunder, James and John. It's like me as a teenager. You know, just out there. Sons of thunder, they, in Luke chapter 9, they, Jesus goes to a Samaritan village, they don't receive him. And they turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and consume them like Elijah did? I mean, that's murder. A whole village, women, children. <laughs> and today we'd be like, you wicked, horrible, murderous, how can you? And he's like, no, <laughs> no. And he says, you don't know what spirit you are of. So let's go to the next village. In other words, this is okay. You're picking up something of the spiritual. You're picking up something of my realm, but the wrong one. So we're getting places, but let's just go to the next village. Yeah? It's continually testing. Can you think like I think? Because you've, you've left everything. And friends, there's many times, and many of you will know, I felt like this. I'll be very vulnerable with you just to end. I felt like these guys so many times. I literally left everything. I sold everything I had. And I went and lived in an old garage for two years. 
I was making a lot of money. And it was hard. And I went from living in a garage to living in a closet, like a, a cleaned out closet for two years. You know, the call of God sounds very attractive to some. And, you know, then I went and lived in a basement, not so far away from here. And it was moldy and I was sick all the time. And, and often to me, it had felt like Jesus had fallen asleep in my boat. And I know to some of you, it feels like that in your life. It's like Jesus, and I used to again and again get on my knees, Lord, where are you? I left everything for you. You're sleeping in my boat. I, I left everything, Lord. And then I would read, Paul received 39, 40 lashes minus one five times. Stone, beaten, left for dead. And I would think, well, I haven't received even the one lash that they never gave him. And, you know, it's, it gives you perspective. And you start, Lord, I thank you that I'm blessed. You, Lord, you're my prize. I get you. I left everything. Why? For you. And it's like he wakes up in your boat, in a sense, and the presence of God descends in, your, in that place, in that room. And you realize again, the privilege of the call of the Lord is that you get him. He calls you to himself. And you get to know him, genuinely know him, know his heart. You get to be with him. You get to go aside with him. You get him. That is the prize. But if we don't see that, and for some of you here, you may feel like, Lord, you're sleeping in my boat. He will awaken. Only reason sometimes it feels like he's sleeping is because you're actually equipped to deal with what you're facing. You just don't know it. He's put it inside you. Friends, the call of God comes to you. It's come to all of you if you're sitting here. And it will continue to call you. It will continue to beckon to you. It will continue to do that. Always will. And it's always freedom, and it's always more. It's always. But sometimes we require adjustment to think like he thinks. And then he will call you to feed. Feed my sheep. And then he will call you to friendship. You'll get into those two things next week.